Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I do here at least monthly in two different forms. First of all, it is available in a video form here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel. And if you want to take it around and listen to it wherever you want to, like an actual podcast, you can do that as well too. Simply look up Mod Chat, all one word, on your favorite podcasting app, host, or provider, and you should hopefully be able to find it there. It's not available on all major platforms, but it's available on most of them, at least. Either way, this is a show where I kind of just do a little bit of a roundup of some things, developments, and I guess new segments you can say uh, in the world of console modding that I do find interesting. We don't really necessarily break news here, but for some people who might just not follow this as regularly and kind of want a bit of a I guess, new development blast, so to speak, and updates on things. Uh, This is kind of what it served for. Either way, we do have some pretty interesting developments this month, so let's go ahead and just hop right into it all here. First of all, we're going to start with getting into the latest news for the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and possibly even PlayStation 3 with BDJB, which is a Blu-ray disc Java sandbox escape from developer The Flow. Now, if that sounds like a familiar name, it's because you are probably using his work if you have a modified Vita. He's been responsible for several different jailbreaks on there, uh, including H-Encore, H-Encore Squared, and Trinity. And on here, he's also worked on jailbreaks and exploits and such for the PlayStation 4, uh, some of which have been released and some of them have been disclosed and then kind of hinted at as well. Now, it states that he has disclosed five vulnerabilities. They have been patched, so this has been patched as of firmware 5.00 for the PlayStation 5 and firmware 9.50 for the PlayStation 4. Now, it says that these could also work on the PlayStation 3, but of course this was mainly tested against PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Now this also does carry some big weight and some big benefits over a typical WebKit exploit, which we're going to look into as well too. Now this was linked in there, but this is for the BDJ exploit chain over from HackerOne, and it states here, hey PlayStation, blow our five vulnerabilities chained together that allow an attacker to gain just-in-time capabilities and execute arbitrary payloads. The provided payload triggers a buffer overflow that causes a kernel panic. Please consider each of the vulnerabilities individually. As far as I know, this is the first exploit chain that is being submitted to you. So right here, it looks like, I'll just kind of glaze over these here, but we have the first vulnerability, which seems to be a medium one that affects PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. The second one here being a vulnerability for the PlayStation 4 only. The third one being a vulnerability for both PS4 and PS5. The fourth one being a high vulnerability here for PlayStation 4. And the fifth one here, this one is the high one for PS4 and PS5, which is dealing directly with BDJ, since this here, I'm going to mainly highlight vulnerabilities 4 and 5 with these being the high ones. The fourth one here, which again, this only for PS4, is stating that an elf loader can be written to load and execute pirated games. Although, again, it says here this is only for PS4, and kernel exploitation becomes trivial as there is no 
SMEP, and one can simply jump to user with a corrupted function pointer. Now for the PS4, PS5 one, which is vulnerability 5, it's stating that this UDF driver is used on both of the consoles, which contains a buffer overflow, and attacker can make the size INF len larger than sector size. The assumption of internal allocation is that the data is smaller than the sector size and cause an overflow with mem copy right here. So it's covering this, and as for a proof of concept, this was all disclosed, it was not released though, but they state here that attached is the exploit chain BDJB as a ISO file which demonstrates the exploitation of vulnerabilities 1 through 4 that demonstrates the ability to run arbitrary payloads. Burn the ISO with UDF 2.5 file system. You can send the payload using NC cache PS4 IP, over port 1337 and put in the payload.bin. Uh, the provided payload causes a kernel panic by triggering vulnerability 5. The file slash pwn slash zero has been modified to use internal allocation as a size of four megabytes filled with A. Tested on firmware 9.00. So this was again tested on the PlayStation 4. Now it also states here, with the impact with these vulnerabilities, it is possible to ship pirated games on Blu-ray disc. That is possible even without a kernel exploit as we have just-in-time capabilities. However, this has been clarified a little bit that this is only on PlayStation 4, not on PlayStation 5. Uh, we'll be hopping back over to the previous page. And right here for the additional notes, it is, you know, recapping BDJB. This has been fixed on PS4 firmware 9.50 and PS5 firmware 9, well, 5.00 and then he also stated i wanted to clarify without a kernel exploit you won't be able to run any games which would have worked on the ps4 only anyways because we don't have enough ram in the bdj process and there are some other constraints it was only a theoretical impact and then here th these are the advantages that you can get with bdj compared to a webkit exploit so this works on both ps4 and ps5 it is 100% reliable, it is firmware agnostic, so ROP-less code execution, uh, bigger kernel attack service, and just in time for executing payloads, so you can write a kernel exploit in C, but that's only on the PlayStation 4. We also have some photos here of, this is kind of a recap showing this all from the slides, which we'll be able to look at here shortly, uh, the end result here, which again, uh, I'll cover here in the slides that we have access to, thankfully. And this is kind of the background that we were seeing where you see uh, BDJB by the flow, we're able to escape the Java sandbox, install native API, sending notification, uh, it does some further kernel exploitation here, and then right here, kernel read-write primitives obtained exploit successful. So to be clear, I'm going to be more referencing the PlayStation 4 because publicly we don't have any full jailbreak for the PlayStation 5, so it's going to be easier to compare and talk about this on PlayStation 4. Typically what you'll do in order to jailbreak your PlayStation 4 is you will need to use the internet browser. You're going to go to a page which will allow you to use a really full exploit chain there which is going to be a WebKit exploit combined with a kernel exploit and from there you'll be able to push a payload and then you're able to do what you need to. Now this has been cleared up quite a bit on the PlayStation 4 thankfully because typically at this point as opposed to doing all that manual 
manually. You can just go to a nice host, such as El Azif's host, and from there, you just pick what firmware version your console is on, you select what payload you want to run, and from there, it's going to do everything. It will have the full chain, so it's automatically going to try the WebKit exploit, which will then launch into the kernel exploit, which will then push the payload, and you're done at that point. You don't have to do everything manually, which is nice. The big thing here with BDJB is that this alone is still a entry point. So even what has been disclosed, this is a really good entry point right here uh, but it's not going to be a full jailbreak and a full exploit chain uh, that we're seeing and that's totally fine this is just really cool to have here and to have I guess the not the access on it but the disclosure so it's really going to be people who are going to be working on this now in the community who are going to try and replicate these with the disclosure and kind of the hints that have been put out from the flow so big shout out and thank you to the flow for disclosing this here and being able to share this this is definitely awesome but what is it going to replace in the jailbreaking process that I kind of just highlighted uh, well, essentially, this is just going to be your entry point here. So the idea would be that you can, as opposed to needing a WebKit exploit, you now have a Blu-ray player exploit, a BDJ exploit. So that's going to be your entry point here. But from there, since you have the entry point, you're still going to need a kernel exploit. And once you have a kernel exploit to work with this, you'll be then able to create a full chain exploit by really chaining together the entry point which is going to be bdj with the kernel exploit so you're able to do what you need to i did also want to highlight here what we were talking about with the ps3 stating here since there's not been as much details about the ps3 impact other than we know it could affect the ps3 uh, there's some discussion about the ps3 impact and these findings as ps3 hacker developer b gearville shares some of his opinion and thoughts throughout several posts with fellow developer zeko Shao. that discussion starts at this post and goes throughout the thread here and we can just highlight this a bit there's a lot going on here so i'm mainly just going to highlight b gearville's post but he states here i haven't seen the exploit files or followed much of what the flow had to say about this i only read the hacker one report I didn't see any mentions of the PS3 in it, but it's not surprising as it's not included in the bounty scheme. We already know that BDJ is a possible entry point. All those interpreter just-in-time based apps providing the ability to run user-provided code or script are legit targets. If I remember correctly, two years ago, Cturt said somewhere that he would probably look into BDJ if you were to make a PS3 exploit. And if you don't know, Cturt is, he's worked on several things. I believe he actually worked on the first uh, PlayStation 4 exploit, technically, and released the, uh, the PS4 sandbox on firmware 1.76. Uh, but most notably here, more recently, he worked on free DVD boot, which is kind of the PS2 equivalent of this, what we're seeing. Uh, although they say, am a little surprised by the claim that a just-in-time exploit would work though, because on PS3, I'm not aware of any apps using just-in-time. Browser, Flash Player, Lua, Regex, etc. all run on interpreters instead. The reason is quite simple. In userland, an app cannot create writable, executable memory, and all executable memory is read-only, therefore just-in-times cannot be used. To make a dynamic recompiler for emulators, kernel patches, and a custom syscall are used. If there was a way to allocate writable, executable memory without kernel access, it would have been used long ago on custom firmware. We would have better emulation performance in general, because most ports would have used Dynarec from the start, and probably a functional N64 emulator port from Vita. 
As far as I can make out, BDJ would have to somehow overcome that major problem in order to run on just-in-time. Technically, of course, they could have implemented something to that effect, I doubt they did though, but then if there were to be exceptions anyways, why not extend it to the browser, flash player, etc. The security risks would have been on par, this BDJ exploit on PS4, PS5 confirms it. So there would be no good reason not to use just-in-times for all system features needing it. Unless the entire BDJ thing runs at kernel level like PS2 MU, never heard of that though. DVD, Blu-ray, video functions are hooked into kernel payloads, if I remember correctly, and used in real time so I would not automatically assume it's like PlayStation 2 MU, and just for BDJ. I never bothered looking at the BDJ Java engine closely, or the BD engine itself for that matter. We have a minimal dev kit. If I remember correctly, Jason, that'd be Escort do, uh, might have tested it and we could potentially investigate. A HIN installer loader based on disk could be nice, although that would require a burner. Not sure it's better than a local Flash or WebKit exploit in that regard. It's the main reason that drove me to pursue the Flash Player Action Script option rather than BDJ Java option back in the 4.83 release days, actually. Either way, a user land and a kernel exploit will not change the current status quo on PS3. I already have another userland exploit and another LV2 exploit, but that doesn't help in any way the situation to progress further. What the non-custom firmware compatible PS3 needs now to go beyond HIN and provide more features is a LV1 exploit or similar, and that is unlikely to come from HackerOne or PS4, PS5 research. So that was quite a bit to quote here, but I felt like that was important to highlight on this. Now the cool thing is, uh, the Flow actually ended up releasing the slides from the presentation as well, so at the time I'm recording this, the only thing that is missing here is really just the video presentation itself, which I believe is going to be coming out here, hopefully within the next couple weeks or so. So let's go ahead and highlight the slides as well too, and kind of pick some out here. Now I did highlight H Encore and Trendy as things the Flow worked on, but he's also worked on Adrenaline, which is kind of a standalone ePSP unlocker, so to speak, as well as the Grand Theft Auto Andreas port on Vita, and of course on the PS4, multiple free BSD kernel exploits. Now covering his motivation here, how to get the initial entry point on the PS5, all public user lane exploits on PS4 were based on WebKit. PS5's AMD CPU supports execute-only memory. WebKit exploit is difficult to pull off without knowledge about the executable. WebKit's sandbox policy becomes stricter, which restricted access to dev files. Apparently some syscalls like iOctL are now blocked, which I, I don't know about that one, I'm going to be honest. Exploring new attack vectors, so exploring USB, DVD, and Blu-ray. Now, file systems, looking at here for direct kernel attacks, would be FAT32, XFAT, and UDF. Uh, however, they are difficult to exploit, especially blindly. Scripting capabilities are needed in order to determine addresses, bypass ASLR, etc., and Blu-ray discs can run Java code. So this is actually an interesting attack surface since we have BDJ, which is highlighted here. And I talked about this a bit before, stating that it is supported on PS3, 4, 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and other Blu-ray players. Uh, it's used for advanced content such as menus, games, interactive videos, etc. And this was interesting to me, but this makes sense. The tools are publicly available for compiling and signing JAR files. So assigned JAR files have more 
or permissions, examples being persistent storage or network access. And for this here, uh, I do have one of these, but not the other. Of course, I have one or two Blu-ray burners already, but you do need BDRE disks because you cannot use BDR disks as they are not rewritable. So that was, I guess, mentioned here. So I did have to go out and get some of these. I am skipping a bit ahead here just because I'm going to be honest, a lot of the nitty gritty here, uh, I'm not going to be able to properly explain. And I want to highlight this because it covers these two specifically for the PS4, just-in-time functionalities of the JVM runtime are moved to a different process and they are communicating with using Unix domain sockets. But in the PS5, it looks like JVM just-in-time is not supported. But this was a recap that was kind of covered before and he's just stating here that you want to escalate privileges, disable the security manager, install the native API, and then execute arbitrary code, although that seems to only be on PlayStation 4, with the end result being userland code execution using a Blu-ray disc. As he said, it is 100% reliable, firmware agnostic, and seems to work right now on firmwares under 9.50 for the PS4 and firmwares under 5.00 on the PS5 also likely PS3. However, do keep in mind that these ones with the information we have right now, uh, this is just a user land exploit and not a kernel exploit. But this would be something if you want a full jailbreak that needs to be tied with a kernel exploit. And here, chaining with a kernel exploit, you do have debug settings, which you typically don't have. So this here is incredibly awesome to see. I am looking forward to seeing the actual presentation and the demo of this as well too. And I'm sure again, with the disclosure, even though the files and such were not released, there is a disclosure here that was made public. We do know the firmwares, the hardware to target, as well as the hardware that would be needed, which would of course be a burner and a BDRE disc. So at this point, it's really going to be a lot of really awesome community members who are going to be working on making this public in a way. So I'm anxious to see what happens here. This is definitely interesting to see. Uh, from what we've seen so far, at least, it looks like for the PlayStation 4, uh, this should hopefully work on hot firmwares slightly higher than 9.00. At the time, 9.00 is the highest PS4 firmware with a publicly released jailbreak. So this does work on firmwares that are lower than 9.5. 50. Would this be a more reliable way of using the current jailbreak? For example, if we took the 9.00 jailbreak and as opposed to utilizing a WebKit exploit as the entry point, we use the BDJ disk as a entry point. Well, it looks like we do have a higher success rate on here with it being 100% reliable as stated. Uh, however, the only thing with that is going to be when it comes down to it. I'm sure when it comes to end users, uh, they're probably still going to prefer that WebKit exploit because even if it's not 100% stable, it's still pretty stable, thankfully, for 9.00, and you're going to need a device either way. You're going to either need a, well, a USB flash drive like this, or if we, you know, retool it for BDJ, you're going to need to burn off a disk like this here. Not this exact one, but still. So I think for most users, at least with this current jailbreak, they're still going to prefer the already existing method but if we see anything on a higher firmware it seems like the excitement is a lot more in the camp of the playstation 5 because we still don't have anything 
fully publicly released for that but we have seen evidence of multiple groups and people who've been able to jailbreak the playstation 5 in private and this is i guess the most detail we have publicly seen so far in terms of an entry point we have seen a webkit exploit be released for the playstation 5 which works on 0403 firmware uh, but now we have another entry point here which is huge like bdj right here this is awesome and you know what while all this was being recorded here it looks like this just dropped now it is going to be a few days later that you all are going to be seeing this but slayers govi a really familiar face to the playstation 4 scene here has done a partial re-implementation of bdjb of course without the kernel part so this is just the entry part like i was talking about so as opposed to the webkit exploit you would have the bdj exploit here it looks like there is a ISO image available to download here, and it was built with a PS3 BDJ dev kit. Unfortunately, though, at this time, I'm not able to test this myself just because, again, I don't have the BDRE disks on hand, uh, but this is going to be interesting to see. At the moment, the GitHub repository is pretty new, but it states here, BDJB re-implementation based on the flows report and presentation implements loading arbitrary .bin payloads using vulnerabilities 2, the privilege constructor call 3, privilege method call, and 4, just-in-time hack from the report, listens for payloads on port 9019. So since it's using these ones here, this would be PS4 only. That's what it seems like. This would not be for PS5, at least this current implementation. Either way, super awesome to see here so far, and I am looking forward to more on this, but it looks like at this moment in time, at least while I'm recording this, this would only be for the PS4 if you want to actually use this image. Now, I did also want to cover this that I saw on PSX Place, which was shared here pretty recently uh, from developer Dengu, I believe, but this is Pico Memcard, and this is going all the way back to the original PlayStation. It's stating here, I've been working on this for a while. It's a do-it-yourself memory card that you can plug into the PC via micro USB to transfer save files. It's based on Raspberry Pi Pico, and the total cost of building it is less than buying an original memory card. Also, just like any other memory card, it is fully compatible with free PSX boot. The project is fully open source, you can check out the repository here, and we do have some photos here showing a PS1 or PlayStation 1 Slim uh, with a burned copy, like a backup version of Crash Team Racing, and there's, I guess, two implementations of it. You have one already inserted, which is the Pico MIM card, and that's using a custom PCB. But on the right here, you also have one This is kind of piggybacking off of a third-party memory card. And they're even stating here, yep, they built one using a counterfeit memory card and the other one with a custom PCB that they've designed here. And even here, this is how it looks. So that's really awesome. It is a essentially a long memory card with a footprint there where you can just pop a Raspberry Pi Pico on there and solder it into all the places that it needs to go. This is awesome to see. I think I would also probably go with this method as well too if I was going to set one of these up myself as opposed to uh, getting a memory card and kind of hollowing it out. I don't know, I'd rather just prefer to do this here. Over on the GitHub as well too that is linked, it also does have a wiring diagram for a memory card here if you're going to be using one of these with the Raspberry Pi Pico, so this works out pretty well. Uh, a nice bonus as well too is that you can use really any type of memory 
memory card PCB with this, and doesn't even have to be working, since I guess you'll be, you know, utilizing this with the Pico itself. So I actually have a couple of Raspberry Pi Picos. They're these guys right here, and uh, this one already has some wires and everything on it because I have flashed and used this for Pico Flasher. So this here is a Xbox 360 NAND reading and writing tool right here uh, in its current form, but I do have another one on hand, and yeah, thankfully you can get these for a pretty affordable price, but why would you want to do this here when you can just pick up a cheap third-party memory card? Uh, sometimes those might not be the best or most reliable, plus this project is just really cool as well too, so credit to the developer on this, so I think I'm probably going to have to I'm sure the PCB has been uh, released as well too, so even if it has to be something where I get the PCB printed and then get some of these Picos and install them on there, uh, I think it'll be a fun time. I will have to try this out at one point. Now next up, we're moving over to the original Xbox for a 1.6 Xbox 128 megabyte RAM upgrade. And if you're like me, you might be asking, well, wait, like a, a RAM upgrade, that's been known for a while. But actually, this here is a little bit different. We're going to come over here to this post here from Prehistoric Man. And it states here, since the beginning of time, 2004, mind you, it was known that the 1.6 was missing the unpopulated footprints for the extra four RAM chips. And this made the upgrade impossible. I was thinking recently that if all the signals for the extra RAM chips are still available on the board, we can add RAM to the 1.6 by connecting all the necessary signals. After the tutorial segment, I'll go into why this mod works. And they're also going to post a video at some point, but they do say be warned, uh, this is more difficult than a standard RAM upgrade. Uh, so they recommend having about 8 hours of time, uh, some wire, as well as everything mentioned in the standard RAM upgrade tutorial here on Contamod, which I'll give this a look here. This is kind of how one of these typical mods is going to look. It looks like you're going to need, well, great confidence in your soldering skill, X-Blast OS, soldering iron, uh, let's see, cotton swabs, really everything else that's going to be needed here for for this basic stuff. Now looking at this here, they actually did cover this for the 1.6 already, so that's great, but for the standard Xboxes, let's see here, uh, this is how it would typically look. So we have banks one and four, and then let's see right over here, we have banks two and three on the bottom. It looks like, yep, okay, so those are kind of just duplicates, but that's how it would look by by standard. And then let's look at what a 1.6 board would look like. A 1.6 is going to look a little something like this. So as you can see, you only have uh, two banks on top and two banks on bottom, uh, but is missing the unpopulated ports that we are seeing. You're also going to need to wire up uh, a few wires here at the bottom of the console and you're going to then be attaching them to a certain leg for chip select on the RAM itself. But either way, they're showing that you do need X-Blast OS, but you do need a custom version, which allows for 1.6 version compatibility. Uh, you're then going to... There's not any photos here of it directly, unfortunately. Actually, wait, there is one here. You're going to be doing something like this where you're putting the RAM chip on top of an existing RAM chip and you're kind of piggybacking it here. And then you're going to take one of the legs, leg 28, and that's where you're going to be soldering to that signal. But from here, once you have XBlast OS installed and everything soldered in as appropriate and shown on this diagram here, uh, you should hopefully be able to test successfully and get 
all the RAM chips successfully shown up on here. So either way, I felt like this is also fitting with, uh, I do have a 360 back there at least, but the 360 running Halo 2 of all games. Uh, but this is really cool to see. Uh, again, I guess I never particularly paid attention to it. So for me, I've, I've never really actually even tried the RAM upgrade myself, uh, but I was just thinking, oh, you can do it on 1.6, but lo and behold, that wasn't the case until now, pretty recently. We now have pretty good public documentation in 2022 showing that every single original Xbox can take the 128 megabyte RAM upgrade. So, this is incredibly awesome to see. Bouncing over from the Xbox, we're going to be getting to the Wii U of all systems here, and this is covering a new exploit and release called UDPIH, which is short for USB Descriptor Parsing is Hard from developer Gary Odernixt. And they end up covering a few things here, which this here is, well, the exploit itself, and they're asking, what does this mean? Well, since the USB stack is running before anything on the PowerPC side of the Wii U, uh, this allows unbricking things like CBHC bricks without any soldering. So this is really cool to see because typically if you end up bricking your system, you would have to uh, install a hard mod or install a NAND flasher and reflash the NAND back over to the system, hopefully from that backup that you hopefully should have made and still have access to. Uh, and this just blows my mind here how you're able to do this all from USB. It looks like if you do want to use this here, you would be using a Wii U, of course, and uh, you need a supported device, which is yet again our friend the Raspberry Pi Pico or a switch of all things that is running the UDPIH NX payload. Uh, so both of those are going to be useful here, but you just need one for this. Let's go ahead and take a look at this first video here, which this is how it would typically work. So here he's turning on his Wii U. He has a uh, Raspberry Pi Pico plugged in through USB and the Nintendo logo comes up. Once the Wii U logo pops up, you're supposed to plug it in, and we're greeted with this recovery menu right here. And it's actually the same thing over on the Switch side of things. So you do need like a version 1 unpatched Switch. You're going to be able to need to push a payload from it, or launch a payload technically. Uh, but it's the same thing here, where he's turning on the Wii U. Got to the Wii U menu, so he pushed the payload. And there we go, we are in the recovery menu for this. Now the recovery menu itself coming down here, we do have a few options which include, uh, well let's cover them here, the set cold boot title, which allows for changing the current title the console boots to. And this is useful as it says for unbricking those uh, cold boot hacks cheat bricks, uh, dump syslogs, dump one time programmable plus uh, CPROM, start WUP server, uh, load a network configuration, display the DRC pin, install WUP, and I think that's about it here. Oh, and also you can shut down. But this is just super cool that you have access to this recovery menu and it's not all too difficult to do. Having the payload itself for the Wii U is just amazing like i absolutely love that that is awesome very well done and i know that was kind of made not only for usefulness but kind of the meme of it as well so that way you can like use from what i've seen he even made it so it's like you can use the wii u as a payload pusher for the switch but now you can also use the switch to push this payload over to the wii u so it's kind of just the circle of life that goes on here uh but yet again this is just another incredibly useful uh, console modding related thing that you can use 
the Raspberry Pi Pico for, and it really doesn't look all too difficult. So even if you don't know what you're doing with this, it's incredibly easy to flash this device with this firmware here, this UDP-IH firmware, because that's what it is on this. And from what I've seen, there's not even any soldering that's required on here, so you can ignore these wires. You really just need, uh, well, you're going to need a cable that kind of splits off in two because you're going to need to be able to hook up something here, but you need to have it be powered and you also need data going to the Wii U itself. So you'll probably need something like a male micro USB to two male regular just USB cable adapter type thing and you plug one into a power source and then you plug the other into Wii U so you can get your power and your data separately and push that over to the Wii U. So I'm, I'm really liking seeing this used more often now in the scene. This is just really awesome. Now this here is typically the end of mod chat where what I like to do is I like to pick out something that I thought was cool, interesting, awesome, funny, uh, whatever it is with the modding scene here. And I'm actually going to adjust this a little bit. Uh, I'm going to be showing two things right here because I think they're both pretty awesome. Uh, there's not really anything funny with these two, but they're just really awesome to see here. Um, so the first is actually, well, going back to the Xbox 360 that we have behind us. This is from the awesome gentleman by the name of Rodrigo Copetti, and this is covering the Xbox 360 architecture. Now, he has covered the architecture itself for these consoles in uh, several different variations, but this is one that he ended up releasing for the Xbox 360 that he kind of linked over to me. So even with the table of contents here, you can just see this is incredibly fleshed out. Like, look at this. This is not... We're kind of just going to glance at this here because um I, I cannot cover all of this this is something that you really need to read check out and see what is going on here so of course it's covering the different models of the 360 the motherboard itself marked or unmarked here uh, a diagram as well too and even just reading a quick introduction on this released a year before its main competitor the xbox 360 was already claiming technological superiority against the yet to be seen playstation 3 while the Xbox 360 might be the flagship of the 7th generation, it will need to fight strongly once Nintendo and Sony take up retail space. This new entry of the console architecture series will give you an additional perspective of how technology was envisioned during the early 90s with emphasis on the emerging multi-core processor and unorthodox symbiosis between components, all of which enabled engineers to tackle unsolvable challenges with cost-effective solutions. And even here with the architecture of consoles, you do see several that are available. So just looking at this, Nintendo, Sega Master System, he's got PC Engine, uh, Mega Drive, Game Boy, Super Nintendo, Sega Saturn, PlayStation, Virtual Boy, N64, Dreamcast, PS2, Game Boy Advance, GameCube, Xbox, uh, DS, PSP, Xbox 360, PS3, and Wii. Uh, so I believe this was the last one to tie up the 7th generation here. I will say before we jump off this, you know I had to at least highlight, you know, the modding side of this here, where it talks about a update that ended up patching the King Kong exploit, the JTAG or SMC hack itself. Some notable homebrew here is shouted out, including here Freestyle Dash, which is running on his own system here. And I was checking out these as well too, covering the glitchers for the reset glitch hack. 
the retaliation that was really kind of fought against this here, which is just, there was a whole lot that was going on here back in the day with everything, as well as several different new implementations of RGH. So for example, even like DGX is highlighted here, RJTAG is covered, uh, the CR4XL with RGH2 was covered on this. Um, of course, then some open source developments as well too, like the RJTOP, SRGH, uh, let's see, RGH 1.2, and RGH 1.2 version 2. And for anybody asking about the Winchester, well, it says here, with the approach of the Xbox 360 successor, Microsoft took one last breath and shipped a redesigned version of the console called E. And within it, another motherboard revision called Winchester. The latter finally removed the post signals and filtered the CPU reset line from the external disturbance, which rendered the RGH hack after three years since its discovery obsolete. However, for the compatible motherboards, only wonderful things awaited. Apart from the mentioned RGH variants, there was still a golden discovery to be uncovered. Fast forward to November 2021, 15432 surprised the community again by publishing RGH 3.0, a universal RGH variant to rule them all. Behind the scenes, the new technique is an evolution of RGH 1.2 version 2 that doesn't require a glitcher anymore. This was done by implementing the glitching stage into the SMC, which now only needs two wires soldered on the motherboard, in particular post and PLL, to execute the hack. Even just reading little snippets of that, the thing that I love about this is I can just tell with the way it was written, the language chosen and everything, that there was so much love that was put into this so if you're interested in the xbox 360 kind of the history architecture and how all this came to be not only how the console works but even the modding and homebrew side of this as well too definitely check this out a whole ton of work and research went into this and rodrigo is a pretty cool guy for it so that's awesome to see. And of course, if you're not interested in the Xbox 360 at all, uh, he's got plenty of other really awesome architecture, I, I guess, articles, pieces that are similar to this. Uh, now, this next one is going to be in regards to the Nintendo 64 with the development of RT64. And we just have a teaser so far, but I do want to show you all this. This is happening over on Twitter from developer Dario Samo, and they state here, I'd like to reveal that RT64, the path tracer behind SM64RT, so Super Mario 64 RT, uh, is evolving into an N64 emulator plugin. Here's a small reel of footage I've captured from games that are already showing results. Ray traced lighting, object motion blur, widescreen, DLSS, and 60 frames per second. So let's go ahead and just check this out here. I don't want to show all of it, but here we're starting off strong with Ocarina of Time, and this just looks beautiful. Like, look at this here. This looks absolutely beautiful so far. Uh, so I'm looking forward to actually giving this plugin a shot, and it'll be the first time in probably a while I've really messed with N64 emulation, but uh, is this going to be worth it? You know, it looks like it so far, just from the nice little vertical slice that we're seeing here with all these games. Either way, that's it for this episode of Mod Chat. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all might have learned something, might have been entertained, however it was. And I guess here at the very end, for anybody who makes it here, 
I typically like to pick a keyword or a key phrase that you can use in the comment section of the YouTube upload. And if you use this word or key phrase in your comment, I'll know that you've made it to the end. Uh, now, I was thinking of doing something with, because I, I have this and I've kind of just been fidgeting with it, because look, it's a like it's a little cool device that has like wires and stuff. It's fun to mess around with. But either way, um, I was thinking of doing something with like Pi, with maybe Pico, with Raspberry, but I'm sure there's probably going to be people who are going to be referencing that, talking about it already. So how about Strawberry? Uh, not all related to this here kind of sort of not really but if you use the word strawberry in your comment on the youtube upload i'll know that you've made it to the end and if you're just listening to the audio only version of this that's fine as well too make your way over to the youtube channel come and leave a comment and use the word strawberry and if you do i will know that you've made it to the end of this episode anyways that is about it for this episode of mod chat i hope you all very much enjoyed it this is mr mario signing off thank you all for listening and watching everyone until next time.